Hey there, you stunning human being. In today's episode, I'm joined by Professor Michael Marin, a professor in accounting and management at the University of Toronto. Professor Marin inspires his students to discuss their possible future ventures and ideas they plan to implement in life. Topics all about your entrepreneur within. You would think that might be only applicable to those who are inspired to start their own venture, but that misconception is exactly why we did this episode. Today, we discuss why everyone could benefit from having an entrepreneurial mindset, why financial literacy should be a national priority and most definitely your priority, why it is important to pave your own way outside of the status quo and a business-oriented mindset on how to approach matters in your life, whether it be fighting climate disaster or career success. One more thing before we jump into our conversation, if you enjoy our episodes and really want to show us your support, share it around with your friends and family and do make sure that you subscribe and follow to never miss a single episode from us. I hope you find this wonderful conversation inspiring from Professor Michael Marin. This is the Glass Prison Podcast. Enjoy. Hey, Professor Michael Marin, how are you? I'm excellent, Fraz. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Um, so you're a professor of accounting and management, is that correct? Yes. How'd you end up being a professor of accounting and management? Um, it's actually a funny story. So uh, when I was an undergrad, uh, I decided that I wanted to, to go for business education. I actually wanted to be uh, an entrepreneur. And I kind of fell into accounting because in my undergrad, there were three choices. There were three streams. There was the management stream, accounting stream, and finance stream. And because I really didn't know what I wanted to do, accounting was the most rigorous. So you could always fall into the other streams, but you couldn't necessarily get back into accounting. So I kind of fell into it. And then a couple of my friends uh, were very, very keen on on going to become professional accountants. So I, I stuck it through. Uh, I worked for three months as a summer intern. Uh, in accounting, I realized that auditing was definitely not for me. It was not something that I was interested in. Um, and then I decided that I wanted to continue uh, my business education to ultimately, you know, start my own company. So I did my MBA. And then during my MBA, I, I started to read academic research and I started to get interested in the idea of potentially doing uh, a PhD. So I spoke with a few of the professors and, and what they thought was interesting. I liked the idea that you kind of, you were kind of an entrepreneur in the sense that you got to focus really on what you found to be interesting and that really intrigued me. I applied. The rest is a sort of history. I, I, I finished my degree, found uh, a great job here at UTM and couldn't be happier. I, I love the aspect of interacting with students, with faculty, with working on stuff that you find interesting and then reading some of the the work that other people do and constantly improving and constantly constantly increasing uh, the knowledge base so I kind of fell into it backwards but I'm happy that that that's how it kind of turned out I makes you appreciate it a little bit more stereotypically when I think about a professor in accounting you don't come to mind a lot of the characteristics that you portray within class actually entices me to learn about accounting I never thought I would ever say those words <laughs> I was actually very wary of taking this course um, but then you are quite an enthusiastic individual very interested in the application of accounting and I, I appreciate that. And and I think that's the biggest issue right now with, with the accounting education. We see sort of a dwindling uh, number of students who want to get into it. And I think the idea there is because there's a disconnect in what you can do as an accountant uh, or what they tell you at least that you can do as an accountant and what you can actually do as an accountant. So when we think of the sort of typical job is 
you know, you go, you become an auditor, you kind of look at backward looking uh, statements, historical, and do we find that interesting? I don't necessarily find that interesting. I find the uh, future a lot more interesting. So I think accountants have a very valuable skill set, but I think sometimes we we don't necessarily differentiate ourselves enough with finance and the application and how we can actually help a company grow. So I think if you take what you can do as an accountant, I think it is it is very interesting. It's just, I think everybody comes with this mindset that it's sort of this boring, very, very stable, uh, typical job, and it's not innovative. It's not exciting, which I really don't believe is the case. I think there are a lot of opportunities or a lot of great jobs or a lot of great prospects. And there's a lot of value that you can add. Uh, at the end of the day, everything comes down to dollars and cents. And uh, accountants really have a nice position to, to, to be part of that. So today's topic is going to be talking about the entrepreneur within, yep. right? I'm hoping that I would inspire your um, background in accounting and management to give the people that are listening today uh, a little bit of background about how uh, or why it's better to have an entrepreneurial mindset in today's world. Sure. Um, and the episode's going to be all about the business-oriented perspective on how to lead ourselves and others to a better future. Absolutely. Okay, so first and foremost, just to set the scene, I wanted to ask you, what are the traits of a good entrepreneur? I, I thought a lot about this question, and I think I have two sort of answers, and they may seem simple, but I think they're they're fundamental. I think one, uh, innovative. So they have to have this mindset that they're going to bring about change. Right? Because if you're not going to bring about change, then you're not necessarily uh, an entrepreneur. That's the whole reason why you start a business or you you know start a new product, etc. So I think there's that innovative in nature. But I think second and potentially more important is just this idea of resilience. That every day you fail, it doesn't matter, you start up again and you continue to work to achieve a certain uh, a goal or an objective or whatever you may be striving to achieve. You read up on all of these people. Um, Musk, Bezos, etc. They've all failed at something. And it's the idea that it doesn't matter that they failed, it's that they continue to work towards uh, a goal or towards something that they really want. And oftentimes, I think everybody has the ability to become a great entrepreneur, but it's the environment or it's the idea that they just can't fail. They can't deal with failure because they're brilliant in so many ways that it, 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 it's like it, it, it hurts them to say that they failed. But I think with failure is where you really learn and adding back to my earlier point where you can innovate and where you can see where the issue was and, and sort of continue along your journey until you, you, you know, you, you reach your objective. So my two, my, at least my thoughts are for an effective entrepreneur, it's one, just this idea of being innovative in general. And two, the idea of being resilient, where if you fall down, you get back up every single day and continue to work harder and harder and harder until you achieve what you set out to achieve. Or, you know, along that path, you realize that maybe you didn't necessarily want to achieve this. You wanted to achieve that. You're, you're constantly changing uh, to better yourself. It sounds like a transferable mindset into any situation, like individuals who might not be uh, business inclined can actually apply that those two things. I think at the end of the day, if you have a good idea, you have a strong work ethic, um, 
you can always partner up with somebody who's business minded or you can learn that skill set. I mean, you can't really teach resiliency. It's something I believe that you have or that you don't have. You can always learn uh, the necessary business skills to implement your product or your objective or your goal, etc. And if not, you can always partner with somebody who's like minded uh, as you to reach your your objective. So that's that's my two cents anyway. So for non-entrepreneurs, because um, I do want to differentiate the idea between being an entrepreneur, being an individual who would like to seek out mm-hmm. to solve the world's problems through a business model, and those who are just applying the entrepreneurial mindset to day-to-day activities, why do you think it's very important for those who are non-entrepreneurs to adopt an entrepreneurial mindset today? Well, I think for one, I think, you know, unfortunately, not everybody can be an entrepreneur because of other commitments that they have or potentially um, a lack of interest in devoting your whole life maybe to something. So there are some people who just necessarily either A, don't want it or B, can't do it. But I think if you come with this mindset, again, it's it's this idea of, you know, you're coming in as as an owner of something, something that you're going to take pride in something that even if you work at a company, you're going to look for the problems and look to try to solve them. You're going to try to maximize, you know, value. Um, you're going to create this, I don't know, this culture of of sort of uh, change. And I think regardless of whether you're an entrepreneur in the typical mindset or, or you're an entrepreneur at a company, let's say, or you bring this entrepreneurial spirit, it's, it's definitely important. I think we saw, especially over the last year, it's this ability to change, it's this ability to innovate, this ability to sort of pivot that brings upon continued success. So I think wherever you go, uh, whatever you do, you have to bring that that mindset that you can and you will deliver the best that you can. And just because you're not necessarily working for yourself doesn't mean that you're not innovative. It doesn't mean that you're not resilient. Maybe you just didn't have the opportunity or you're more interested in doing something with the financial backing of a company, or you're more interested in working on products and ideas that are sort of uh, able to achieve that you just couldn't achieve on your own. Uh, One of the ornaments, if you will, of entrepreneurship is accounting. And the idea is you can use accounting um, to gauge how well you're doing. It's like a quantitative set of data that you can then decide on what your next step is, right? Um, I think personally, that is conceptually one of the most fundamental things for success, is that the ability to look back on the things that you've done, or at least what you've gained, and then seeing where the next step is. Do I need to focus on something particularly uh, because of the fact that I'm weak in it? You know, that ability to quantitatively assess the things in life uh, will give us a lot of, of leverage over what I can do to succeed. Absolutely. I mean, I think accounting is nice in the sense that you can look at your results and you can try to project the future and you can look at your how you're doing relative to competitors. But I think even simpler than that, it's this idea of can we continue at our current rate? Are uh, Even if everything works out, are we positioned well to, to, to generate incomes? And then learning... Um, what the implication is of the numbers, I think is is super important for an entrepreneur. We, we hear so often that we have these great ideas and we're able to execute, but you know, we just ran out of money and we can't find any funding or et cetera. So I think accounting sort of gives you this, um, 
it gives you this just i don't even know how to say it but it gives you this um just this comfort if you will in what uh in what you're doing if it's successful or not and the idea of that you may have to make changes and just um the future viability of the business so i think it's you know everything can be compared everything can be talked about everything can be analyzed you can try to project all based on the accounting information that you have and you know like we started off this podcast and you know making decisions about the future i mean we can learn from our mistakes and what can we do better or we can learn from our successes and how do we maintain that so i think it's it's very important and um it's equally important to sort of think about some of the other aspects of business as well strategy finance operations etc now that we've basically established the importance of accounting uh, can you give me examples of conceptually what would be the accounting equivalent in people that are non-entrepreneurial like let's say now that i know that you know this happens within the business world Mm -hmm. right and i want to apply it in my life because if people run businesses in a way where like they look at quantitative data basically make those decisions Mm -hmm. know what they implicate what is it for for a student maybe beyond just grades like in life what is your philosophy i imagine like just studying accounting will create some kind of paradigm within your life that is associated with the use of accounting if you can dig deeper and think to yourself like what that would look like well i think i think we always come back to this idea of of benefit and cost right so regardless of what we do i mean we decide to start a new career and we decide to move we decide to travel etc you know we always just come back to the basic fundamentals is it worth it for me and what does that mean is it worth it for me and you know accounting unfortunately is it's highly related to numbers and sometimes numbers don't give us the full story but at least we can start to think about the relative worth of something and we can think of maybe some of the qualitative implications of of what we're doing what we're studying what we're thinking about what our aspirations are um so i think that mindset is is super important even in our day-to-day lives i mean obviously you can't spend more than you make so there's the the simplest approach like that but just any decision that we make about the future can we think about is it worth it or at least it gives us a very nice uh, criteria to to sort of base any decision on and i mean we we we've used this information every day in our lives since we were 2 years old i'd imagine but i think when you study accounting, maybe it just formalizes the idea. It makes you think about it maybe deeper uh, upon any decision that you make. So again, you know, when you think of what accounting is, it's just, you know, it's helping people make decisions, giving information relevant to, to making a decision. And we make thousands of decisions a day. Yes, some of them are very important. Some of them are not as important. But as we make more important decisions, we do start to think about what's relevant, what's not relevant, what's the worth, what's the future implication. And even further, after we've made the decision, did we make the right decision? We can assess that critically and, and see if we need to move move forward or, or adapt or, or continue what we're doing. Okay. In the context of our current state of, of world, basically, mm-hmm. the environmental deterioration, sure. economic and social unrest, we, we see this to be expanding in so many pockets around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think having a little bit more competent entrepreneurs or like adopting an entrepreneurial mindset for an individual might help, um, you know, solve the, some of the problems that we're talking about? So I think... You know, that's that's an interesting question, and this comes up a lot, right? And it's 
it's this idea of is the private sector supposed to fix these issues? Is the public sector supposed to regulate or tax these issues? And I don't think we fully understand that yet. Um, does the stock market reward companies for being socially responsible? Does it reward companies for being environmentally responsible? You know, the evidence suggests yes. And I think as companies or as people, we we can do better. But I think there's also a role for customers, for suppliers, for governments to ensure that companies are doing uh, what they're supposed to. I mean, at the end of the day, shareholders want to maximize their return. We need to prove that being green or being socially responsible does increase returns and does make the world a better place. And I think there's a lot more that we can, that can be done there. I think there's a lot of disclosure and a lot of maybe cheap talk, but you know, we, it's time that we start to see some real change and some real action towards some of these initiatives. It's wrong. Um, and we should be held uh, to be environmental. We should be held uh, to a high standard for social issues. And until um, I think external forces regulate or, or demand it, um, it's tough to say that companies will do it on their own. Some companies will, of course. Um, but I think, I think there's, there's more to the story than just demanding the entrepreneur themselves, uh, to take care of these issues. I think there has to be a fundamental reason why. And I think we need to start rewarding companies that do do these things and start making it easier for bad performers to realize that they're making a real mistake and they're not adding value by not doing it. So implicitly, uh, from what I got from what you said, is that you still believe that there still could be a marriage between um, good acting companies for the purposes of environmental building and the capitalist system that we currently have. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that they're, they're especially, you know, moving forward, these issues are becoming more and more prevalent. And uh, there will be, like I said, customers, suppliers, governments that demand better actions. And as soon as that happens, shareholders will also start to demand better actions. And I think it's it's a matter of time, but we should speed up that process and really show these companies that doing so is beneficial for you, not only uh, today, but tomorrow and in the foreseeable future. I think a lot can be done in this issue. I think there's a lot of uh, entrepreneurial abilities. Uh, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of opportunity here. Uh, for new students or for people entering the job force or switching careers uh, to think about uh, about the environment, social issues, perhaps become a consultant, perhaps start a company, an NFP, et cetera, uh, to, to, to do something in this space. Do we need more competent entrepreneurs? Is this, or do we need just a paradigm shift within the current ones? Because I know a lot of people are putting a lot of uh, emphasis on the biggest entrepreneurs, say Zuckerberg, Musk, Bezos, to solve the world's problems. And they're the first people that people point at whenever an individual, um, I don't know, experiences some uh, some kind of environmental woes or some kind of social unrest. They they look at the people who are currently leading the private sector to to change things. Sure. I mean, I think that's that's an easy sell, right? Because Musk, Bezos, Zuckerberg, they have a lot of money. So of course they can they can do a lot of change. But I think it's more than that. I think we need to think about um, 
ourselves. I think, you know, we can only do so much with Zuckerberg and Bezos. We can pressure them, et cetera. But I think that comes from, I think, I think there's more that we can demand of ourselves. There's more that we can demand in our day-to-day lives than just saying, you know what, it's the billionaire and, and it's the big business's problem to fix this. It's all of our problem to fix this. We all live in this world. We all share the resources of this world and we all have to think about it. Yes. Can they make bigger changes than we can? Sure. They have the resources that we don't, but again, what's going to incentivize these types of companies to make changes. It's their customers, it's their suppliers, it's their government, it's uh, people that we elect. So the change can be quite small and it can have large ramifications. Uh, just relying on uh, Elon Musk is not going to solve our world's problems. I mean, we can do more and we can do better and we can we shouldn't just demand from him because he has a lot of money. We should demand from everybody. It sounds like there's like an implicit call to action here as a basically to take up responsibility ourselves and uh, try to change it. Because if collectively we end up making that decision, then uh, theoretically we could possibly make it go towards the direction that we want to go to. And this requires obviously an entrepreneurial mindset, right? An individual who takes up responsibility themselves and knows exactly like, I'm going to change the things in my backyard first before... Uh, pointing the finger at others for them to change it. It's a lot easier to ask somebody to do something when you've done it yourself, right? That's my view. Yeah. Um, and if you've done it yourself, if you're committed and you uh, hold yourself to a high standard, it's easy to hold someone else to a high standard. I, I actually hate when people hold others to a higher standard than they hold themselves. I don't think that's right. I don't think that's fair. And I think that we all, like I said, we all share the resources here. Yes, Uh, Others have more resources or have more capital, but we should all be doing more. And what is more? Well, that's dependent on the context. That's dependent on the situation. It's dependent on the individual. But we can't just rely on others to fix uh, the problems that we ourselves all create, right? Um, Yes. Do I use as much uh, fossil fuels as Air Canada? Sure, I don't, but I still do. Um, and little changes can sort of start this ripple effect and, and have a large, uh, a large impact moving forward. Mm-hmm. So demand basically drives up supply. If sure. the, there's no demand for the things that are currently destroying the world, no good businessman would think to provide such Absolutely. a... There product. has to be an incentive for the entrepreneur to act in a green way or to act in a social way and the incentive can be personal uh, driven and the incentive can be monetarily driven and obviously it's easy to incentivize somebody with uh, stock returns if uh, as investors we demand it right and that's just my view and I think it it can go a far way. We've seen, um, you know, with recent cases with hedge funds and with large individual investors that they can demand change and change will be brought. And why did that come? Because their um, investor base demanded it. And I think that's really important. And that's what we need to do moving forward. You mentioned that it might not just fall on the billionaires to change the world. Now, my question is, um, okay, if it falls on us, do you think we're well prepared to do that? Because do you think maybe the current education system, for example, is not equipping people with the mindset and outlook to become an independent thinker and leader, maybe even leading themselves to change? Maybe there is an inherent incentive in the current education system to basically prepare most people to be obedient followers rather than competent leaders? I think that's an interesting question for sure. I think um, you know, education is incredibly important. I also think 
real life practical experience is also important. I think that, you know, being inquisitive and 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 sort of being uh, your own thought leader is, I think, a natural gift. I think it can be, um, we can definitely teach it. We can definitely encourage people to think independently. Um, could our education system do more? Sure it can. Uh, we can always do more. We can always do better. We can always change our curriculum or we can always, you know, talk about new issues and relevant issues in today's world. Um, you know, for example, we we don't really talk about sustainability at the elementary or high school levels. We know that sustainability is important, but maybe we should bring up a, a full a full class on this or we don't have basic finance and basic accounting and 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 basic um you know business uh teachings in high school right and i think maybe that could be something else that that's brought up so we start to think about relative value and 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 maybe entrepreneurial activities or or maybe just learning how to read basic financial statements so i i do think that we can bring more into the education system and then i think it really is up to the individual on what they think is is interesting what they think is important and and what they think that they can do to to really be the best of themselves mm. so we have a situation where it's like a little bit of a catch-22 yeah. um in a sense where everybody needs to do something but it's collectively around the same goal yeah so if i were to for example work towards a better tomorrow with the current energy sector, right? And I would think to myself, okay, I should take up uh, on myself to kind of change things. Maybe I have a, an idea of something that I could possibly do that. Um, it's uh, it's an interesting scenario where the betterment of the, of the individual, um, sorry, the betterment of society okay. is actually highly dependent on the activity of the individual yeah. to take it upon themselves to do that. Mm -hmm. And it's a very interesting way that comes in full circle to the idea of adopting adopting an entrepreneurial mindset and like how that can work out for you, but most likely it's going to work out for the community. Yep. Yeah. So you mentioned financial literacy here. Uh, financial literacy in Canada falls actually under 61%. I saw that. Uh, that, was, that was actually very surprising to me. Uh, did you think it was higher or lower? I hoped it was higher. How about I leave it at that? <laughs> I didn't know if I thought it was higher or lower, but I, I hoped that it was much higher. You'll be surprised by this. Um, I thought it was much lower. Okay. And that's one of the reasons is I wasn't particularly financially literate myself, even though I was exposed to business from a very mm -hmm. young age. Um, what I mean by that is the way that, for example, I don't know, like pension funds work or, mm -hmm. or uh, how to get your credit score up mm -hmm. and these taxes, type of things. Yes. Yeah. And taxes. Yeah. I didn't <laughs> get to, I didn't get involved in, in tax 101 in, in, in high school. Yeah. Right. It wasn't mandatory. And I didn't think it was something that was going to be beneficial to me. It seems like there's a high incentive to uh, push people into STEM related things. Yeah. Yeah. Which has its own benefits, but it doesn't seem to be um as productive as teaching them both mm -hmm. so one thing i want to pitch to you and i want to know your thoughts about is why is it that people differentiate 
or at least diverge the STEM and, and business side of things. Wouldn't it make sense that those who know best about the technical things make the ideas about the technical problems that require it, mm-hmm. right? Like I would, I would think it's very, very good to say, hey, very scientifically inclined individual here, probably going to have a great career in making solutions for whatever the world's problems are. Why do people just end up doing either business or science? And like, it seems like everybody just needs to, you know, put them together to make a better. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a really interesting point. So you're right. I mean, you 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 go to high school and you start to think about a career and you you become very it, it becomes almost very rigid. Right. And we think about Steve Jobs and Steve Jobs didn't actually go to college. Right. He just he didn't like the he didn't like the structure of the program so he went into courses that he found to be most interesting and most useful and maybe that's a model that we can sort of implement here and and it's not just you know because you want to be uh, a doctor you're for, forced to only take biology courses for 4 years so that you can apply to med school to then only take you know 3 years of I'm, I'm not a medical doctor but whatever courses that it is and you're right. I mean, there there should be some basic business uh, knowledge. Now, is it at the university level? Perhaps. But earlier, you know, I, I think it, it, it should be even in the high school level. You know, we should know about taxes. It's, it's one of our biggest expenses, right? Every year we have to pay. And can we structure our salary? Can we structure our investments to reduce our tax payments? I mean, I mean these are very important questions why we don't teach them that's a really interesting question and i don't have the answer for that should we be teaching it absolutely i think you know even to your point about excellent uh scientists that can solve the world problems yes but at the end of the day we have to even the scientists even the best scientists has to be accountable i mean we live in a world of constrained resources and you can't just continuously blow through money to to try to solve a problem unless there's a real need unless the and there's future potential so i think in whatever you're doing you need to consider the financial ramifications and i think having uh, a more integrated education system would go a far way and 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 i think it would really benefit a lot of people and then you kind of learn by fire and you you know your parents suggest you put some money in a tfsa you you buy some stocks and you you hope for the best without really knowing uh anything about them so i think there is a lot more that we can do and i'm hoping uh you know one thing about the pandemic i'm hoping that uh we can make some changes to our um elementary high school level education to really encourage people to become more financially literate and maybe it's a statistic like you said that will get um, our politicians thinking about this issue and thinking about curriculum development do you think that the financial literacy uh, issue contributes to the economic woes of a nation absolutely absolutely i think uh, as a nation, your output is the collective output of all of your individuals. So, you know, as individuals, if your individuals aren't financially literate, that's a big problem. And I think, you know, if your individuals aren't thinking about maximizing something, then how can we expect our country to be maximizing our output? I think this is a very important issue. Again, it doesn't matter what you do in life. You could be 
uh, a laborer, you can be a restaurateur, you can be a doctor, you can be a lawyer, you can be an accountant, but you still have to have some basic understanding of finances, of how what you're doing can 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 increase productivity, can increase profitability, how you can um, better yourself, how you can make more money, how you can, and it's not just about money, how you can use the resources that you have to fix some of these social issues that we were talking about or fix some of these environmental issues. Again, the whole idea here is we live in a world with constrained resources and the, the best nations are those nations that are able to maximize their resources uh, to the best that they can. And how do you do that? Each individual has to maximize their own individual output. And I think it's super important that each individual knows, well, A, how they're measuring their output and, and how that they can better themselves. So I think we really need as a country to increase this. I mean, it, it, I'm sure if we said that our, our reading rate was 61% coming out of grade 12, you know, we would have uh, mobs in the street and we would we would be in front of Queen's Park demanding better. But this is something similar, and we should be asking for more and expecting more and demanding more, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. So you probably got a lot of people reflecting on their financial knowledge and their ability to make decisions, much like an entrepreneur. What are some necessary skills and knowledge that you would suggest, for example, that 39% um, that are omitted from that 61 um, that you think is paramount for the future generation to adopt, I maybe to the future business and their careers in life? You know, I think there has to be some basic understanding of different investment vehicles. You know, uh, RRSPs, do you have enough money to retire? RESPs, do you have enough money for your child's education? Uh, risk allocation, are you comfortable in stocks, in bonds, in real estate? So what are the different investment classes? What are um, some taxable implications of the decisions you make? Should you be investing in your TFSA? If you invest in your RSP, can you get the tax write-off? Um, there's there's a lot of just really fundamental things that we should know um, when we buy a home or when we're renting. Do we understand what a mortgage is? Do we understand what goes to principal and what goes to interest? Do we understand capital gains taxation? Do we understand basic employment income? And what it means to have these sort of deductions on our paycheck every week and what are the why do we do this and and i think you know just sort of very very high level basic things that would go a far way and and help maybe even people who are in a in a dire financial situation develop um you know better finances better financial management better savings better investments so that they can reap the rewards in the future, right? I wish myself, I wish I had started investing earlier. I wish that I had maximized my TFSA earlier. Um, I know my parents and, and my parents are both highly educated. It wasn't until we were, I don't know, 14 or 15 and my parents had went to a, I don't know where they went, to some friend's house who suggested that they invest in an RESP. I mean, they didn't, they didn't think about these things. And I think they didn't think about them because maybe they didn't know them. Maybe nobody was explaining it to them. But these are basic things that would go a far way to ensure that we have sufficient wealth and to ensure that we can maintain a, a lifestyle that, that we want. And I think, you know, it's not asking for too much. We have all of these government programs in place, like the RESP, RRSP, but the public has to know about them. And the public should know about uh, where their tax dollars go and, and how different types of income is taxed differently. And I think there are a lot of 
just basic fundamentals that should be taught and should be discussed openly um, amongst individuals so that we can all sort of better ourselves. I think the easiest way to generate wealth, we've we've talked about this in classes, you know, every day investing a little bit in the S&P 500 and you'll see what it does after 50, 60 years and how we can retire. But we, unfortunately for a lot of us, we start just too late. And once we start late, our returns are, are a fraction of what they could have been. Um, so I think I think we do need to do more and it would go a far way if we do more. So to further illustrate the importance of the things that you're just mentioning here, I saw a statistic online that I think would be um, baffling to a lot of people, actually. And that is 50% of people earning more than $50,000. By the way, the I think the national average right now is 50000 for house income. And so live paycheck to paycheck. 50% yeah. of the people that are higher yeah. than the average live paycheck to paycheck. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter necessarily what you make, it's what you spend. And you're absolutely right. I mean, when we think of these high earners, it's it's sad to think that these people are living paycheck to paycheck. The question is why they're living paycheck to paycheck. Is it an issue of financial literacy? Maybe. Is it an issue of, you know, we just want more and we want to have a lifestyle? Could be that too. Um, but I think that having just a background in financial literacy will at least help alleviate that to some degree. I think there's always going to be people who live well above their means. Uh, unfortunately, we live in a world with social media and, you know, sort of keeping up with the Joneses and how much financial literacy you have is not going to change that perception. But for a lot of people, it, it probably is this idea of just not knowing um, basic finances. So it, it is a sad statistic to hear that, you know, these high earners aren't able to to save and aren't able to then, you know, redistribute to people who may need it and and who necessarily maybe can't work. The final topic we're going to talk about is risk taking. <laughs> okay. Um, so this is very well known in psychology. I'm, I'm, I'm a specialist in neuroscience. So I'm basically very um, like exposed to this statistic because it keeps coming up. Sure. And the idea is that Teenagers now and adults now are much more risk averse than they were 10 years ago. Okay. Okay. One of the reasons they may think this is the case is because of the fact that social media and the advent of internet has made uh, it very difficult for individuals to forget about, for example, any mistakes. They're very wary of making sure. mistakes. Sure. They feel a little bit more critical about themselves and the people around them. Now, I think it's a very fundamental skill to understand how to take risks, right? Calculated risks. Yes. And so since a lot of us are very risk averse, or maybe they're just going with the flow, because I'm telling you right now, the vast majority of people in university are doing just that. Sure. What would you suggest to people who are, first of all, not taking risks? And second of all, if you were to take a risk, what are the things that you need to consider? Quite conceptual question. But those are the two things I wanted to ask you. No, it's a great question. And, and, you know, let's start with the first part. So I think you have to ask why you're not taking the risks. So, you know, back to your earlier point, is it because you don't want to take the risks because you want to maintain your lifestyle and, and that's a personal choice? Is it that you're not taking the risks because you're worried about failure? You know, everybody has their own reasoning. I think it doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it wrong. But I think risks are good in a sense if they're calculated and if they make sense. Uh, you look at sometimes people who take the most risk. Who take the most risk are the people that maybe have 
nothing to lose, right? By taking that risk. So I look at my grandparents and my grandparents came to this country with nothing, you know, for them to take risks, they, they, there was nothing that they could lose. So they were always more, um, I guess, adventurous maybe. Whereas if you have come from a certain lifestyle, you definitely don't want to risk it all. So, it, you know, it is a question of your surroundings. Um, but I, I do agree with you with social media and that, you know, we're, we're constantly posting what we're doing, what we're thinking. And back to my point about keeping up with the Joneses and how if we do fail, it just sort of exasperated across the Internet. And, and a lot of us wouldn't be able to deal with that. Um, and I think that's wrong. Right. I think when it comes to risk, it's a personal decision. And I think you have to do what's best for yourself and you have to be able to live with your decision and and not worry about what other people think. And I think that's a big problem in our society today. We're so worried about what everybody's going to say about us, think about us, talk about us. At the end of the day, do what's best for yourself. Um, if it means, you know, taking risks, taking challenges, do it. Be happy with it. Um, as long as, like I said, they're calculated, which now leads to your second question. So how do we start thinking about risks? I think the, the most fundamental question here is what exactly are you trying to achieve by taking this risk? Are you trying to create a new product, a new business, a new lifestyle? Are you doing it just because your friend thinks it's a great investment? Are you doing it because you read on the news that Bitcoin is going up like crazy, so I should invest in some crypto? What's the underlying reason? I think you have to ask yourself that. Why am I taking taking this risk? And am I willing to lose it all? Or if I'm not, should I be in something so risky? So, you know, question yourself, how much am I willing to lose and walk away and not be too concerned? But at the other point, ask yourself, you know, if I don't take this chance, am I going to be disappointed in myself as well? And then sort of weigh the two together and find your equilibrium and find what works best for you. Um, I myself think that I'm, you know, more of a risk loving person than others. Now, you know, to my first point, I have a very different lifestyle than the average person. I'm a, you know, uh, an unmarried man with no dependents. And until, you know, most recently I lived at home, I had no expenses. I could take as many risks as I could. So my personal situation was vastly different. And then in terms of what I'd be willing to lose, well, again, I'm a relatively young person. I know that if I take a chance, I have the rest of my life to sort of fix the issue <laughs> and recover from my loss or reap the rewards of the risk that I've taken. And I'll be able to, you know, sort of lie on my deathbed and say, you know what? I tried and either I failed miserably and I realized that I couldn't make it happen or I succeeded and I was quite happy. But for me, at least, I couldn't imagine saying, I wish I had done this. I, I never want to live with re regret. And I think there's a lot of us who do live with regret and, and, and we should think about that a little bit more. And, and you know, to your point, uh, Faraz, not be worried about necessarily what others think and do what's best for us. So do you think it's more so a situation where people should be taking risks today, mostly because of the fact that the median um, income for households right now, as adjusted to inflation, keeps going, is going down. So sure. like, sure, maybe going to university and getting a job might be a, a good thing. But I know way too many people that got out of university couldn't find a job. <laughs> Not only that, but also after finding a job, they realized, well, the quality of life that I've been living has gone down. So whatever I'm doing right now, whatever my parents have done, it's not going to going to work because right now um, doing the same things, it's not working out for me. 
Yeah. So it seems like it's a it's a necessity for those who at least want to maintain that quality of life uh, or for people who are looking to better it. I, I don't imagine anybody who's living life currently wants to say, I want to live a less relaxing life <laughs> yeah. than my parents did. Yeah. But it seems evident. The vast yeah. majority of people don't even think they're going to be able to ever own a house in the future. Yeah. So it seems like something that people should consider. Yeah, I think, I think unfortunately um, in life, we, we sometimes a lot of us follow this herd mentality and you know what, everybody's doing this, so it must be the right thing. And maybe that works on the aggregate, but maybe it doesn't necessarily work for you, right? So again, you really have to have to self-reflect and think, what do I want out of life? What am I hoping to accomplish? What would make me intrinsically happy? And just because, you know, um, the public may not think that that's correct, doesn't mean that it's not the right decision for me. And, you know, I, I started this, this podcast with the introduction of myself. And I remember it was really tough for me graduating uh, from undergrad with my degree and not going to get the professional designation because everybody said that I was crazy. I mean, everybody made me feel like I was, I wasted my time. I wasted my life. I wasn't reaching my potential. And now I look at it and I think, oh my God, that was the best decision I ever made. Um, But again, it was this just separating yourself from the herd, asking yourself, what is going to make you happy and then doing it. I mean, are, are you in university because you want to be in university because you want to learn something or are you in university because you really don't know what else you want to do with your life? And you know, that's, that's, that's tough, right? It's, it's, there's a lot of self-reflection that you should do and not just worry about what others think and what the perception of you is. At the end of the day, life is long. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. You will be most happy if you take care of yourself first and foremost and not just rely on what others think or do. And with that said, even, you know, if you come out with university with your degree and, you know, your university degree, regardless of what you studied, has shown to a potential employer, to a potential customer, to a potential supplier, to a potential investor, that you can accomplish something, that you have um, definitely brought about, uh, learned different skills that you can utilize, or that it's a it's a it's a strong signal to somebody that you can apply yourself, learn something, and and accomplish something. So regardless of what you study, those skills are transferable to whatever you want to be. Um, just don't. Don't just don't just look at life with a tunnel with tunnel vision and think I must be doing this or I must be doing that. And you know, you look at the best entrepreneurs, everybody thought that they were crazy at some point. I mean, Bezos was working on Wall Street, had a great job, and people thought he was an idiot for for leaving to start Amazon. Musk had just finished selling PayPal and he took everything, invested it all, and was renting an apartment and people must have thought he was just crazy and and, and, and don't let that, don't let that stop you. Don't let that, um, take away from, from your potential or from what would make you the most happy. Uh, that's my opinion anyway. And, um, I think my experience has shown me that you're, you're going to be best doing what you like and doing what's best for you and not just following what others think is best for you. I hope this conversation was a catalyst to some people, um, thinking, or at least who are unsure about the way that they're going to be living life, maybe adopting a little bit of an entrepreneurial mindset, you know, looking at the things that currently are metrics to how your life could be or 
is right now and uh, potentially making those decisions. To wrap it all up, though, I only have one more question for you, and that is for the future entrepreneurs out there. Uh, what do you wish you saw more of from those who took this route? Don't be scared. Don't be scared. It's a very simple answer, but it's, in my opinion, it's the best answer. You will and can succeed. Don't let other people stop you from succeeding. Don't let your own self-doubt stop, stop you from succeeding. Sometimes uh, you just have to take the chance and make the best of the situation. Don't look back and think, I could have done this, I could have done that. You know, take life as it comes and constantly improve yourself and constantly look for um, new ways to, to, to be the best that you can be. Don't let others intimidate you. Don't let yourself intimidate you and you will be successful if you keep trying. Eventually everybody keeps getting up no matter how many times they get knocked down. Don't be the statistic. There you go, everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much, Professor, uh, for coming today. Um, do you want people to engage with you on, on your social media handles? Uh, go ahead, give it a shot if you, if you really <laughs> want to. I'm not a great social media person, but uh, I'd, I'd love to, to further this conversation with anybody. Send me an email. Um, we can always set up a Zoom call and share some ideas, share some discussion, talk about business ideas talk about uh, different courses that you may find interesting that may help uh, you moving forward or even some investments. I'm always, I'm always keen to talk about your thoughts and, and, and what you're investing in, what you're not investing in, and whether I should be investing in the same thing. So it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Faraz, and uh, we'll talk soon. Wonderful. By the way, email in the description to this episode. Um, I'm not sure if you're going to regret this, by the way. I'm not sure how many emails you're going to get. But yeah, um, thank you so much for, for coming. And uh, see you guys in two weeks.